Welcome to Ballet Initiative. I'm Christian Kutnick. On this episode, part two of my conversation with principal dancer of the Pacific Northwest Ballet, Carla Corbis. So you you have another cultural shift. You get out to Seattle, and what's that like for you? I mean, here you are in the Pacific Northwest. It's quite different, visually even. Visually, is so beautiful here, which took me a while to even see it, because it was just like, where are the buildings? Like, well, everything's so spread out, and you need a car, and everything's so green. So yeah, it was like getting used to it. Um, everything felt very small compared to New York. And then even like P&B's schedule, when I joined the company, they told me that you had a lot of Saturday and Sundays off. And I was so not used to that because in New York we worked Tuesday to Sunday. And then I get to Seattle and you have a weekend again. And I'm like, what do you guys do? And people are like, I don't know, you walk the dog, you have fun, you take a nap. <laughs> and that was another thing before, like on show days in Seattle at P&B, you finish your rehearsal day maybe around 3, the latest at 4, and then you have all that time before the show. And to me, that was crazy. I'm like, what do you do? Because in New York, you finish two hours before the show, you have a snack, you put your makeup on, you're on again. So it was a whole readjustment. And one, pe- one thing that people told me is that, oh, you go home, you have lunch, and you take a nap, and then you come for the show. And to me, I've always loved naps. Grew up in Brazil, we always took naps. So that was a big, big plus when I moved to Seattle. <laughs> I love that. I was like, I can take naps. That's my headline. Carla moves to Seattle to take naps. I love it. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. <laughs> that is the life. That is great. But it was just like, it's cold, like the culture here and, and New York is just, you know, you're doing so many shows, you have to work until two hours for the show. But here you don't. You have this rehearsal period, you have the shows. We have a rehearsal period, we have a show. So there is actually time to breathe, and that is where I had to get used to it, to allow myself time to recover and breathe. And, and it was wonderful. I really like it. Bet. Now, we haven't met before this call. We are we're social media friends. Um, uh-huh. And hopefully we'll be long-standing friends, and I'm going to come to Seattle and see you on your comeback. Good. Uh, never that, that you left, just on a hiatus, perhaps taking a really long nap at this <laughs> Correct. point. Correct. But I want to come see you dance for sure. Um, and we talk, we share some mutual friends for sure, because I think the ballet community is, it's a, it's a small community, I guess. We're, we're all trying to figure out ways to grow it and preserve it and mm-hmm. present it in the best ways. But we share a friend in Stephen Hanna, and I was hoping that you would tell me a little bit about dancing with Stephen. Mm, he's my favorite. He's not my, he, he's my favorite. I have a lot of favorites, but Stephen is very special um, because we got into New York City Ballet pretty much at the same time or close together or the same generation of dancers. Um, I got to dance with Stephen a lot in New York City Ballet. 
And then we were also friends outside the company. And, like, even though I left New York and he left the New York City Ballet, every time we see each other, it's just kind of like, oh, my God. We just have this big love for one another. And last time I saw him, last time I saw him, actually, we went to Russia together for a gala. That was really fun because I hadn't danced with him for a long time. And we got to dance together again, and it was awesome. But if I would if I would think of retiring, the one thing that I would like to do again in my career would be to do Elegy with Stephen Hanna. That's the first movement, and then there's second and third movement, of, and then there's theme and variation, but that's piece by Balanchine, and that's the one piece that I would love to do it again with Steven. Um, but I know that the time has passed, too, and we're doing other things now, but I don't know. It's just a friendship that it's always there. How about we make that happen before your retirement? Can that happen? Because, you know what, I just... He was just in St. Louis a couple of months ago, and he's still mm-hmm. fit. And I'm sure we can get it there. We can make this happen, Carla. Let's make it happen. Let's make this happen. Because that would be incredible. That would be, <laughs> that would be. You get better. I'm calling <laughs> okay. him right after this. Like, guess what that you're doing? That sounds good. <laughs> I think what impresses me most about him, and they're great partners. I mean, I've been... Um, saying on this podcast through the various episodes that for me jock soto has been one of the premier partners on the planet i think that he's just one of the best and he's had uh, legendary uh, partnerships and for me what i love about steven is that he's a beautiful dancer but he's such a uh he's a big guy you know Mm -hmm. and i i feel that the people that he's um partnered with, and pardon me as I collect my thoughts to try to say this correctly, I'm saying he's a big guy, but he's tall, he's, he's built, he's strong, and it just seems that his partners believe that he is there for them. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, he's so, he's so strong. I mean, you're right. He's a big guy, but not really, because he's so slim, and, and, but he is really tall, and and powerful and you don't really have to worry when you're dancing with him because he will you know fix things for you and put you on your leg and so you do feel very taken care of when you dance with him similar to when you dance with jock i mean jock soto i got to dance polyphonia with him and one time when um wendy whalen got injured and you know, Jock was like a small stature, not a big guy, and yet he was like the most coordinated, incredible partner I ever worked with. So, but Stephen is up there in terms of partnering too. Does partnering with a excellent partner clearly makes it easier for the dancing, but the artistry of this, does it allow you to go to places where you're not so worried? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I feel like throughout my career, I've been very lucky to work with really strong partners 
So I have been able to develop the artistry and, like, connection of, like, emotional connection of the pieces that I've worked with because I've had partners that are so um, aware and strong and incredible that technically we, okay, we get it. Like, we rehearse for a week, we got it, we're coordinated, and then we can stake to the next level, which is the artistic level. So, you know, a lot of times I hear people to have bickering with their partners and the relationship maybe it's not as great or there's some drama. And I've been so lucky to have had, like, I think all of the people that I've worked with in my career, I've never really had, like, dramatic experiences where I just cannot stand the person or something. And and I've gotten strong people like Steven. And then you, yeah, and then you get to, like, look in their eyes and not fall over and, you know, like, do different maybe arm movements and or look at them in unexpected ways that then the audience gets, oh, my God, these, people, these two people on stage are really connecting. What are they doing? Are they in love? Are they fighting? Are they in pain? So, yeah, that's been very fun part of my career. So great partners, great training, and naps. Yeah. That's the trilogy of success. It's a good recipe right there. (laughs) That is success in the bucket right there. Okay, taking that, that's a note for me as I go on. Naps, that's the new one. That's the the success list. (laughs) That's the success. I mean, think about it. It's perfect. It's perfect. perfect. I mean, what way to be? And it's just finding a balance, you know? and finding people you love to work with. I want to just transition into one final phase and talk to you a little bit about the power of social media and our art form in the media. There's been some discussion lately. Um, I've been having a thread. I spoke to one of the cast members of Breaking Point, uh, Uh Alison DeBona, and she's a soloist with Ballet West in Utah, And I'm interested to see your reaction to the television show. Where do you fall? Is it representing the art form? What What are your thoughts on this particular uh, program? Well, I think it's been very successful for the company there because I think it's brought a lot of attention to the company and to the art form, and hopefully that's translated into their, like, the amount of people that are coming to the shows and the possibilities of growing the company. I mean, I haven't talked to any of them. I don't personally know them um, or personally know the company to see if that they're translated. But I do think that hopefully that it's bringing awareness to the dance form and... uh, I mean, to the art form, and yeah, I seen the episodes, and I love the dancing. Sometimes I don't love the editing. I wish that when there are dance sequences, they would keep the piece of music that's the core. I mean, they just you know, have you seen the episodes? 
I know what you mean, and I think that's part of my problem. Yeah, I wanna I wanna see the piece as the piece is. I don't want to pop music on top of it because the art form in itself is so beautiful, and there is a reason why they choose the music to a certain piece. So I wanna I wish that they hadn't edited it that way. I wish there was more dancing because, especially the second season. They took a lot of the dancing away and concentrated more in their personal lives. But, you know, it's still a good publicity for them. And hopefully they will get more people involved in the dance world. I'm completely with you here. I I agree. I'd, I'd love to see more dancing. I'd love to see and hear the music that they're actually performing to and see the piece. Why not? Uh, I also understand that they have problems with royalties and paying for the music to get it put on. So that's a a production type of issue. And, you know, the drama of it, I understand why they're doing it, but um, it's not really for me. Right. If you're going to go out and kiss by the ocean, great. Let's go to commercial while they make out and come back. And let's see him in class. Like, let's get back in the classroom. Yeah. So that's where I am. But I, I, I'm with you on the fact that it is helping to raise the profile of the art form, which is desperately needed. I think that now where we are in the world, I think the dance world needs to not be... We should be concerned about the royalties and the, you know, crediting everybody involved in the piece. But sometimes... You get so uptight that things like this happen, where now you can't even listen to the proper music because the orchestra doesn't want to, you know, allow it to be played, or the dancers don't want it allowed to be played fully. Like, if we're gonna put out out in the media, then let's do it right and let people see it because they're gonna see it anyway. Um, we might as well represent it well what we're putting out there. That's a great point. And I have an idea for a television show, Carla, and I hope you'll come with me. I'm going to pitch it to you and see if you'll participate. (laughs) Okay. All right, because I know, you know, we've got some time. We can develop this. We can make it really, really great. This is the time. This is the time. (laughs) All right, I'm going to be calling you every morning now. Good morning. Oh, God. You see that? Now she's repulsed. Just say I'm taking a nap, (laughs) Christian. It's a nap time. That's what I'll start hearing. Damn these naps. Come on. I knew the naps would come to get me. Great for you, bad for me. That's what they should show in those TV shows, taking a nap. Yeah, let's check in on Carla. Oh, she's sleeping. Okay. <laughs> Next. Miss Chapman. Oh, nap time for her. Let's come back to come back later when they're putting makeup funny. on. What do you feel about social media? I don't know if you're doing Twitter. I haven't seen you on Twitter, but I know you're on Facebook. No. Do you think it's a uh, good, bad tool? It's, is it helping? I think if people want to do it, then great. For me, it's like I can't spend my whole day thinking, I'm going to tweet this. I'm going to Instagram this. I'm going to do it. Like, I can't. It's just, I don't, my brain doesn't go that way. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are doing it, um, but for me personally, I don't, I don't, 
I think it's a good thing, and at the same time, I think it's a problematic thing. It's good because you get to share your work with a lot more people. You get to say what you're thinking, how you feel. But at the same time, are you being aware of people that are actually around you? Like, I just, I, I think it's complicated. For you, is it a time thing or is it a, that's too personal? No, it's a time thing and it's a, a like, you're always posting, like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Like, sometimes my experience in the studio, let's say, is not the experience I'm reading on Facebook or Instagram. Like, sometimes I'm having a hard time in the studio, and then somebody will post something that's super positive, and I'm like, that's not really what happened. But because it's social media, everything is very wonderful in social media. So sometimes I don't want to name situations, but I've had situations where I'm in the studio and somebody's being really not not very pleasant, and then they'll put on social media, oh, I loved working with you. And I'm like, no, we didn't love working together because that's not what would happen. But in social media, they will say it was wonderful, but in your face, they won't say it's wonderful. They'll just treat you very badly. So it's a all it's all a, it's per- perception, uh, maybe a skewed perception. I get it. Yeah. So I just get so fed up with it that sometimes I don't feel like going there. But that's why I haven't gone. I mean, I do Facebook, but I don't put anything personal, or I put more like work-related things, and not all the time because I just I don't know. I just don't go that way. I totally get it. I like you, Carla. I really do. I think you're a beautiful dancer, and, I, and I'm very pleasant to talk to. I think I will post that on my social media because that is the truth. Yeah, and in so many ways, social media has been wonderful, you see? We get to do this. Yeah. We get to talk to each other without ever having met because we met through social media, and now we get to spread news and information through it. So it is positive too, but it's the, it's how you use it. Well, I just want to thank you for this. Uh, It's been a real pleasure to finally connect with you and to talk about your career. And I know I'm pulling for you. The people I know are all pulling for you. And I know it's tough and difficult sometimes to talk about these things because it's something you're living with. And I, I appreciate your, you being candid and hopefully down the road, some kid in 10 years from now, the next prodigy will listen back and say, Carla said this, you know, she was dealing with this too. You know, I think you'll be sooner than 10 years because I see for myself when I talk to other dancers that are going through it now or hear interviews like we just did, I'm like, I don't feel so alone. I feel like, oh, we're all going through the same stuff, even though sometimes I feel like, What's wrong with me? I'm the only one going through this stuff. So I think, I think it will impact and maybe comfort and maybe um, even educate people in the now, like now. (laughs) So thanks for, you know, asking those questions and 
starting that conversation. I wish you all the best and fast healing. And, you know, I just have a feeling in my gut about you that you're nowhere near done. You're just hitting the point. I remember Francis Petrelli once told me, I don't even look at a dancer until they're in their 30s, you know. And I thought that was funny at the time. I was like, but look at all this young talent, this beautiful, you know, 26, 27-year-old that's gorgeous, you know. And I'm sure he was saying it mostly in jest, but the maturity that comes with, you know, mentally and physically and the dancing was something that Francis thought was was happening in your 30s, and that's what he was looking for. There is a, there is a beauty in every age that a dancer goes by, you know, dancing, but... I think it's true. I think a lot of people will tell you, oh, my late 20s and now in my 30s, like, it's just you, you just have more experience. And you can find new things to say and express. So it's very nice to be here right now. <laughs> I hope you'll come back and give us some updates and we'll continue our conversations. Yep, sounds good. All right, Carla, take care. We'll talk again soon. Okay, so nice to talk to you. You too. Bye now. Bye. That concludes part two of my conversation with principal dancer of the Pacific Northwest Ballet, Carla Corbis. Ballet Initiative is a nonprofit organization based in America's heartland, St. Louis, Missouri. Our mission is to teach dancers to dance and to raise the profile of ballet. You can find us online at BalletInitiative.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter, too. If you like to listen on the go, you can have Ballet Initiative delivered directly to your smartphone for free by using the iTunes and Stitcher apps. My thanks to Carla Corbis. Until next time, for Ballet Initiative, I'm Christian Kutnick.